Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to start talking about what does it mean to be human? How are we human? I don't know. We're still figuring it out. We're figuring a lot of things out. I'm Craig. <laughs> and I'm Carla. And we're trying to understand being human from the perspective, perspective of God's story in the Bible. It's more than just being a species like Homo sapiens. We think it's about community, about relationships, and about welcoming. We're figuring it out, still. So, join us as we do. Because we're not holier than you. Oh, I didn't want that to rhyme. All right, we're, we are recording. So I'm Carla. I'm, no, I'm not Carla. I was thinking about Carla. I'm Craig. <laughs> I'm Carla, and we're not holier than you. And we have some special guests today. We have a couple of friends uh, who we met, boy, 2000, probably 2002, I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and uh, for, a, for a period of time, our Mennonite congregation was duly affiliated with the Northwest Yearly Meeting of Friends. And we were a Friends Mennonite congregation for roughly five years or so. Um, and then while the institutional relationships went different directions, uh, Colin Saxton and we have stayed in touch pretty much uh, uh, over that entire period of time. And every once in a while, I'll bump into Carol, usually online or with an email here and there. And so it's nice to have Carol here. So we've got two friends, two friends, two, Two friends who are friends, and uh, I, I love that name, friends. It's so friendly. Um, and I'll let I'll let Carol go ahead and introduce herself, and then then Colin can introduce himself. Okay. Well, I'm uh, Carol Spencer, and I am I'm a friend, capital <laughs> F friend, as well as a small F friend. I've uh, been a friend for forty years, maybe but I wasn't born into friends. So I'm a convinced friend, as they say. And I retired a few years ago from teaching at Earlham School of Religion, which is a friend's seminary. And now I'm currently teaching part-time at Portland Seminary of George Fox University, which isn't actually a friend's seminary, but it's connected <laughs> George Fox it University is. and George Fox was the founder of Quakers. So there is a connection there. All right. Yeah. Yes. And I teach a class on the Christian mystics. So uh, the other person that teaches it is also a friend, Cherise Spock. So oh, it yeah. seems that Quakers are mystics, or at least they teach about mystics, because we are the only, I think, friends teachers at the seminary right now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And Yes. Oh, I just wanted to ask Carol at Earlham, is that what you also taught was um, about the mystics or? I taught or... the mystics and spiritual formation. Actually, I've taught spiritual formation at the Portland Seminary and at Earlham School of Religion. So Christian okay. spirituality, history and theology of friends and Christian mysticism and spiritual formation are kind of my areas of teaching. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. You, we, we can we can ask you lots of questions, but to in the honor uh, in honoring your time and others we probably won't ask about all of that <laughs> okay yes that would take um hours <laughs> it's a whole a whole new series it's a whole new series yes mysticism, yeah. but it is connected to quakerism and it's connected to most, the inward light as well yeah. most definitely yeah most definitely. we'll get into it a bit excellent okay sounds you wonderful. ask about the mystic she'll want to test you on at the end of that yeah, actually, oh, I thought I would start I with the that. Quaker quiz. <laughs> oh, the Quaker quiz. That actually sounds like it might be helpful. So Yeah. Okay, Colin, introduce yourself. So I'm Colin Saxton. I also was not born into Friends. I came along in the mid-80s, and I've been a Quaker minister for the last 35 years as a pastor, and I was the, the Quaker equivalent of a, of a Mennonite conference minister. For about nine years and then I was the head of the world office of a branch of friends for seven years uh, back in Indiana and I along the way I taught part-time at George Fox University and did a couple classes at the seminary. Carol and I were actually seminary um, colleagues. We went to seminary together many years ago and then when I did my doctoral program 
Carol was one of my teachers. So if I mess up theologically today, that's on her as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, so, I'm on the spot. The last couple of years, I've actually worked for Everence, the, the Mennonite Anabaptist Stewardship Organization, as their liaison to the Quaker world. And now I currently am back working with Friends United Meeting as their director of North American Ministries and their advancement director. Now, now Colin, you went to college, though, at, was it Eastern Mennonite? Uh, I did. I actually finished seminary there. I started okay. out at a different seminary where Carol was. And so, yeah, my I did my, my master's degree at Eastern Mennonite. So, okay. so it, what I, what I, what, what's fun is the different crossovers and the different convinced uh, positions that we take because I didn't grow up Mennonite, but I could become a convinced me. Mennonite. Same here. And, yeah. and you, you, you went that similar path, uh, both of you, <laughs> yeah. to, to finding something that you claim, you know, as your own. Um, so. So, yeah, go did ahead. you want to, no, did you want to kind of go here? Well, I thought what I think I'll do, maybe just a little lead in just to bring everything up to speed, kind of what I had sent in that, that message earlier, but Carla and I began talking several weeks ago, a couple of months ago now about some of the, just, just the general uh, breakdown of, of humanity, perhaps, <laughs> um, and, and this inability uh, in many quarters for people to come together and to find that common ground to build uh, meaningful relationships. And over the, over the last 20, 30 years for myself, I've done a lot of stuff with conflict resolution, but so much of that seems to be almost tactical. You know, this is what you do to fix this problem kind of stuff. And I think what we were started talking about is something much more uh, uh, foundational and strategic. Um, how do we, um, from a theological and a spiritual uh, understanding, how do we find that that some of that that kernel that that we all uh, can come together around? And so, for several weeks, Carla and I talked about the the concept of the image of God that is described in Genesis uh, 1, 26 and twenty seven, kind of as a touchstone. You keep going back to that as this place in which uh, humanity bore the image of God uh, in fullness, and we have kind of defined that as not just a man and a woman and a male and a female relationship, the, the, the sexual piece, it's this all humanity at that time, you know, all humanity, well, I've only two perhaps in this, in the poem, but still all humanity shared the image of God. And it is when that image of God broke down that everything began to separate. And as that separation took place, the Hebrew Bible continues to tell the story of God's longing to bring the nations back together to bring the peoples back together uh so this image can 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 be um made known again made manifest and along the way we kind of thought there's there seems to be perhaps you know elements of of um uh parallel ideas perhaps with that with the concept of of light and the way quakers talk about the inner light that there is something something bonding or something hold you know potentially holding people together at a much deeper um foundational level or or, or i'm completely <laughs> misunderstanding the whole life thing so so we wanted to talk to a couple of quakers who could straighten us out about the light yeah and i think probably one way to start is what is the light the inner light the inner light and and is it just something somebody made up or does it have biblical foundation or all those things? Like, does, what's the origin of the concept, and why did, and perhaps why did Quakers grab onto it? Why is it uh, something that uh, that that they've held onto, and it doesn't seem like really too many others? Oh, oh. oh did you? Want to I say was going to say, although Mormons seem to be kind of looking at this, they have something about light that they keep putting out, mostly mm. around Christmas. I've noticed. Oh. <laughs> So does the entire Eastern Orthodox tradition and the Quakers uh -oh. understanding of the light has some connection to the Eastern Orthodox. Quakers did not invent the concept of the inward light. It was already there in Christian history in the early church fathers and in the Christian mystical tradition. So it was already there, but they kind of recovered it and made it their central kind of thesis or their central foundational kind of understanding. So they didn't invent it. 
and, and I think your back your background with the um, with understanding the mystics, the history of the mystics, I'm I'm sure helps find those pieces of connection. Right, and that's what led me into the study of the mystics because I could see some parallels in Quakerism and I, it got me very interested in, in looking at the mystical tradition. So, yeah. Plus, Quakers are mystics. At least I claim they are. Some people would say no, but I, George Fox was certainly a mystic and I think that most of the early Quaker leaders were, were mystics. Well, the, 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 the inward light is, a, is kind of a mystical concept. In Give my a little definition for what you mean by, by, by mystic in that sense, because I mean, Quakers emerged kind of as a separatist movement mm -hmm. out away from the Church of England in the in the 17th century. Is that kind right. of a yeah, yeah. general they, understanding? Of the Puritan tradition was everywhere. They were essentially Puritans and they came out of the Puritan Calvinist tradition. Yeah, at the time. Uh, okay. A mystic. Well, they, I, I didn't make that Calvinist connection. That's a that's important. Yeah, they they were all all kind of pretty much immersed in Cal, but they they took some um, different roads than Calvin. Some of it is still similar, but they right. definitely um, branched off from that. And I can we'll get into that. Well, let's okay. talk about what is the inner light, right? What is it? Or what is mysticism? Yeah, right. First of all, a mystic is someone who has a direct experience of God. That's the simplest definition and Quakers had direct experiences okay. of God as the light, God as light, or many other metaphors they used, okay. light was the most common. Um, okay, so what is the inner light? When I teach Quaker history, I always start with a Quaker quiz and I ask students what the inner light is. And here I'll give you I'll give you a number of choices, okay? <laughs> okay, the inner light is that of God and everyone. One, two, Christ within the heart. Three, the Holy Spirit. Four, the image of God. Five, human conscience. Six, the divine spark in the soul. Seven, the divine monitor. Eight, depends on which Quaker you ask. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> or Not nine, none of the above. I was looking for all of the above. <laughs> or all of the above. Well, not quite all of the above, actually. So, okay. really? Because um, okay. I thought several of those in there sounded about, you know, sounded familiar. Yes. So, Quakers are very diverse. So, it does depend on, on who you ask. And I will say that the term inner light is actually a modern term. Quakers, earlier uh, Quakers always called it the inward light and the inner light doesn't come into use until around the turn of the end of the 19th century into the 20th century by mm -hmm. Rufus Jones who used it all the time. And he kind of used it interchangeably with inward light. So inner light is used more by the liberal Quakers. Inward light is used by the most Quakers and some evangelical Quakers don't use the word inner light at all <laughs> or inward light. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So there's a wide diversity so, of how it's understood. Go ahead. Question. So that, that idea of in, inward um, makes it sound perhaps, I mean, there's a direction. You know, it goes mm -hmm. from one place to another. It's going, mm -hmm. going inward, which sounds like it's going deep or it's going inside. inside. I guess the question inward. is from yeah. where? From God. Where, where does it the come from? It comes from God and is experienced okay. within. Okay, so Christ within the heart is actually a good definition of the inward light. Uh, Fox talked about Christ within the heart, and the early Quakers always said that it was the inward light of Christ. Okay, and that it was always identified with Christ. Modern liberal Quakers may not identify it with Christ anymore, but initially, all the early Quakers probably up and through the 19th century would say that inward light was the light of Christ, but it also could be that of God and everyone. That's actually a quote from George Fox, but it's very vague that, what is that? <laughs> that of God. So- Yes, and I'm familiar with that, qu that quote. So in, in the quiz, you mentioned that, and I, went, yes. I, I know that one. <laughs> yeah, liberals often use that as the definition of the inward light, that of God and everyone. But that can be just what, about what, anything you want it to be. <laughs> yeah. But well, in uh, some circles, that would even be the sum total of the theology. 
exactly. Yes. What do exactly. Quakers believe? Well, we believe there's that of God in everyone. Yeah, and, and Quakers do believe, I believe that too, but I believe it's it's more than the that, right? <laughs> so that and it was a phrase. Of, go ahead. It was a phrase that George Fox used commonly, yes. but, it, but it was always, as Carol said, it was really rooted within this deeper understanding of, of Christ being that inward presence mm-hmm. that is different than conscience, different than reason, right. different than human wisdom. But it's mm-hmm. actually this, as, as friends would often talk about it, it's a, it's a power and it's a truth and it's, a, it's, an, it's, an enable, it's the enabling presence of God that is um, at work potentially within people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they used a lot of metaphors. Did you say potentially? Potentially, yes. yes. I mean, that would be that would be my perspective. Yeah. Is that yeah. if if you talk about the light has the capacity, it, it's this small spark. Carol used the word spark. Well, it's this spark that has the capacity to be kindled into this roaring inferno, this passionate life with God. Or another phrase that early Quakers would use is the seed, right? But the seed is remains a seed unless it cracks open and dies and turns into this flowering life and plant. It's fruitful. And so the, there's a difference between availability, I would say, and inevitability mm-hmm. when it comes to the, hmm. the encounter with God. Well, you're very poetic, Colin. <laughs> Not like I, had a great, I had a great teacher in seminary. <laughs> <laughs> but all those metaphors and seed, next to the, the metaphor of the light, seed was the next most common word that was used for the light. And the seed gives the idea that it's something that is small, but it can grow. It can uh, sprout and grow. So the light, Quakers would say, we're all given the light in a measure. They often use the term measure. We all have a measure of the light and it may be just a little seed, but you have to open to that seed and respond to it. And then the measure grows and it gets fuller and eventually, um, they taught that you could also be perfect in that sense. They were perfectionists. Right. Uh, and again, but you never, you ne- perfection never ends. You continually become more and more perfect or more and more Christ-like. Yeah. And, and that's a lot more Wesleyan in its understanding of perfection, it seems. Yeah, it is very similar. In yeah. fact, Wesley was very familiar so, with Quakers and borrowed some of their ideas. Mm-hmm. Carla. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> so just, oh, I'm sorry. So just to try and understand better, is that is that inward light or the seed that has the potential, maybe potential isn't the right word, but um, is it there all along in our lives? Mm-hmm. Always. Or it's, it's is it universal. there once we hear the word? Oh, it's there. You were born mm-hmm. Say with that again. Light. You were born with the light, the inward light. Okay. So Quakers, so it's like the image of God, but it's, it's larger and broader than the image of God. It's more than the image of God, though sometimes they might call it the image. They didn't usually refer to it as the image of God. But Quakers, here's where they differed from the Calvinists. Quakers, while they believed in original sin, they did not believe that infants were born into sin. They okay. became right. sin. Everybody, Quakers would say that sin is original and that it's going to be universal. Eventually you'll sin and become a sinner, but you weren't born into sin. And Calvinists believe that you were born uh, into sin, total depravity. Quakers, no, you weren't totally depraved when you were born. You're born with the potential to open and respond to that light. Everyone has it and it's universal. Yeah. So to root it in the biblical okay. tradition, Carla, I mean, it comes one, one way to look at it would be John one, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word yeah. was with, was with God. And there was this light that gave light to all people is one of the ways where mm-hmm. friends would say that's, that's that activating presence that's within each person. Yeah. The true light that enlightens everyone, John one, nine, that's the Quaker verse. They quoted that more than any other verse. And the whole prologue to John is Quaker theology. Christ is the word and the word mm-hmm. Yeah, is this inward word, this inward light within us. So they they took that as the universality of the light, that the light was coming into the world, but the light was with Christ at creation. So it was always there. So everyone that is born has the seed of that light within them. So early, this idea of 
the, the this this light or even or the seat is broader than the idea of an that 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 includes yeah, it's broader than the idea it includes the Jesus. image but it's it's broader than the idea of the image yeah i found one quote where george fox uses uh image so this is a really good kind of understanding this is directly from fox's journal uh, which was published like at the end of the 17th century, though he wrote it earlier. So he says, and here's describing one of his kind of openings as he called them. He said, great things did the Lord lead me into and wonderful depths were opened unto me beyond what can by words be declared. But as people come into subjection to the spirit of God, this would be the, the inward light. He would often call it the spirit of God, spirit of Christ. Okay. Uh, and grow up in the image and power of the Almighty. So that image can expand and grow, okay? They may receive the word of wisdom. That's the Logos theology right there. Christ is wisdom that opens all things and come to know the hidden unity in the eternal being. That's a very mystical description. But what it's yeah. saying is that... Um, the light also brings us into unity. We can come, with, that's why Quakers use the discernment process. So when you're all together and you're all open to the light, the light will bring you into unity or into consensus. That's kind of the ideal behind it. So that's okay. that's one example so the, where he the, uses image, but I, there's not, I couldn't find any other examples. There may be more, but he does use it in that particular quote and it kind of, Kind of encapsulates the idea of what the inward light is. Was that's pretty. Was. That's pretty amazing, and I love the connection it makes with the practice of consensus. I mean, consensus mm -hmm. yeah. is this broad, this this bigger light that we all right. are. Mm -hmm. And the same in. with just the whole uh, concept of Quaker silent worship. You are all silent, open to the light, and as the light guides you, you may be prompted to then express a word from from the spirit. Okay, and then that also brings the whole worshiping community into unity and power too. power mm -hmm. is another um, fruit of the light, the inward light. It gives you power, empowers you to have empowers you to um, I would say resist temptation and overcome sin. It's kind of where the perfectionist comes in. Mm -hmm. So it's this empowering. Well, wouldn't you say it's more than that? I mean, too, that, that I mean, because I agree with you that often you'll hear writers talk about this sort of truth, power, and unity as the, as the, the workings mm -hmm. of the light within us, both individually and communally. And I think sometimes we, certain writers focus on the conviction power of, or the, the convicting work of the light, that it helps us see our our gloom and doom but oh, I think the absolutely other, yeah the other side of that is that it empowers us to live then into mm -hmm. that new christ-like life I mean, yeah i think that's an important aspect us. yeah the convicting power of the light is very important and that's liberal friends don't emphasize that very much but the more evangelical friends will say yes it also convicts us of our sins and cleanses of cleanses us of our sins too oh. But it's an inward experience. So Quakers always would emphasize the experience of Christ, the inner Christ. Sometimes they were actually claimed to not talk about the historical Christ as much because they did emphasize the inward Christ, the Christ of experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so um, it sounds like then uh, just this one of the questions we had here is is this from creation or only for Jesus followers and so this is for every person in the world no matter one has the light and it can be a saving light now this is where there's a lot by by the 19th century there was a lot of debate over this in the Quaker tradition and Quakers actually divided and this is one of the issues they divided over um, uh -huh. the universality of the light and could the light be a saving light well, the early Quakers did believe that it could be a saving light. So for, um, for people that had never heard the gospel, they could be saved by the light within them if they lived up to that measure of light within them. So even if you had never heard the gospel and knew the, the history, 
you could still be saved by the light. So they, they were definitely more universalist than other groups. Okay. But the, the light is still Christ. You're still saved by right. Christ, yeah. even if you haven't heard the name Christ. So that was okay. the way they kind of expanded salvation much broader than it would have been. You know, for the Catholic Church, you have to be within the Catholic Church to be right. saved. But yeah. they would say it's beyond that. So they, they opened that up. But that, that, that is debatable now. Some evangelical friends might not necessarily agree with that. But the early, the early Quakers did believe that the light was universal and it was offered to everybody. They did not believe in election. You were not elected to heaven or hell. But uh-huh. everyone had a chance to respond to that light in some measure, even if it's just a very small measure. Kind of, kind of like the story of the um, vineyard workers, the mm-hmm. ones who get hired in the morning they get their full pay, but then the ones who are hired in the last hour, they get the same amount of pay. Yeah, that would be a good parallel um, to, or a good a parable too, <laughs> to explain <laughs> the idea of the universality of the light. Yeah. yeah. Okay. One, one of the places where Fox got, um, where he focused on this notion of that of God is, it's been traced by a writer named Lewis Benson, who says it was sort of his understanding of Romans 1 that there's this witness that's for available to everybody, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's this, that the light exists within everybody and that there is this witness. And he tended to focus on the inner aspect of that. Mm-hmm. And some Carol, sometimes early Quakers would also say that each of us have a day of visitation from God. Markley said that. Yeah. 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 That there's a time when, when God is especially close to mm-hmm. us or is revealed to us in a way that, that draws us, that mm-hmm. helps, helps bring that light to life. And, and we can resist it. Um, mm-hmm. And some people would argue, and I, I would tend to go this direction, that, that there's not just one day of visitation, but there are these encounters where God is pursuing us. Mm-hmm. But the more we harden our hearts to that and we close ourselves off for that, mm-hmm. it may be that we miss out on that mm-hmm. visitation. Yeah, there's some debate over whether Barclay believed that your day of visitation would be over at some point or whether he said it, your day of vision could come at your moment of death. So right. I kind of think right. he meant the moment of death, but there is debate if you read his writings. He's kind of goes back and forth there. It but depends on the kind of day you've had. God was like, ah, you've had your chance. <laughs> yeah. <I'm moving> on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and no. also the light, grace is part of the light too. Sometimes they would even use the grace as a metaphor for the light. So there is this oh. saving grace within the light and it's a gift. Okay. So they weren't, you know, without grace, grace was very important and it's part of the, um, the light as well. Okay. Okay. Um, I was also thinking along the lines and when you also use the word that seed was sometimes used and that that seed has to die and grow. Mm -hmm. It made me think of two things. Um, parables, the, the parable that Jesus talked about the sower and the seed, Mm -hmm. and then also of the mustard seed and Mm -hmm. growing into, and do either of those come into this idea of the seed and inward light? I imagine the seed came from uh, those parables because the the early Quakers used totally biblical language. I mean, most of everything they, they wrote, I think they say like 75% of, of the words they use were directly from scripture. Um, okay. And so seed was common in scripture and common in parables. So that's probably where they got the metaphor of the seed and the light too. Christ is the light, right? Yeah. And we are the light of the world. Right. Um, so, you know, that comes from scripture as well. And then the whole prologue to John uh, and all about, you know, the light there. So um, for them, the light is kind of the inward gospel, right? rather than just the outward gospel. And there is a verse, another verse that they used. Um, I'm not sure of the, uh, the reference, but it talks about the, uh, the gospel being preached to all creatures. You know where that's found, Colin? I forget where it's found, but. It's in that one book. Yeah, that one, one of those books that uh, Paul wrote, I think. <laughs> I can tell you about an early Anabaptist preacher in the 16th century who used that a lot, but yeah. Oh, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> but for them that that's kind of the confirmation that the light is universal the right. gospels preached to all creatures if you take that literally well obviously the gospel certainly in their day wasn't preached to all creatures but they said because of the inward light it, it is preached the inward gospel is there 
other questions? So, oh, oh, yeah. So, um, you know, we've we've been kind of going back to Genesis and, you know, talking about, you know, being created in the image of God and that the image of God is in us. And we also then talked about the um, Babylonian, um, how, how Babylonia talked about gods and that oh, the creation myth. the creation myth they have mm-hmm. and are had and how humans were then to serve these gods and and that they had come out of anger and violence mm-hmm. um so i'm thinking along the lines with the inward light and the quaker uh belief that everyone carries the inward light um and that that's been it, from what you're saying so much a part of the basis of um of the society of friends tell us how that's been lived out in 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 the lives of friends throughout the years yeah how do you do it yeah well i think that the concept of the inward light of Christ being in everyone is the basis of the, the Quaker belief in the equality of all people, which the image of God also is the basis of that, right. right? All people are equal. But Quakers, I think, took that further than most traditions. In other words, men and women were equal right. within the Quakers because women had the light of Christ just as men had the light of Christ. So, and yeah. the spirit was within them so they could preach as well as men. And so in the early Quaker movement, there were many women preachers. And of course that was scandalous at the time because right. other sure. traditions didn't allow that. Um, children could preach, children, and you know, everyone was equal. So there was, a, I think a, a greater sense of equality because everyone had the light within. And I think that still plays out today in Quaker social justice and action and care for the other and for the poor. And for those, um, you know, the American Friends Service Committee um, and even the work that Colin does in Kenya and and all around the world. So I think there's, it is kind of the, um, why there was so missionary minded. Now you would often think, well, if the inward light is in everyone, why do you need missionaries? Yeah, (laughs) but Quakers were the, the first huge missionary movement because even though, everyone had um, a measure of the light. They wanted to bring the full gospel to people. They wanted to bring them into the fullness of the gospel. And so they were really motivated uh, as missionaries to share the, the whole gospel, bring more light to folks. And Puritans who believed that you're either elected to heaven or hell, they weren't missionary. They had no missionary movement among the Puritans at the time. So the Quakers were really the first great missionary movement and they've continued to be that. Um, and they've always connected social justice with evangelism. They kind mm-hmm. of go together. Yeah. So I think that's part of the fruit of the concept of the inward light. One so of the- Poland could add a lot more to that, I'm sure. Well, yeah. I also think it might, and I appreciate it all you said, Carol, because I think it's totally right. and. I think in our best days, mm-hmm. it also impacted the way in which we went about it. That that evangelism mm-hmm. wasn't go, wasn't going to tell someone that a truth that they had they one person had and the other person had no knowledge of at all. But it was pointing that that person to what is God? What is how is God alive in you? Mm-hmm. You know, you have this presence in you. Or are you paying attention to it? Mm-hmm. Um, evoking a, a a response. Um, speaking to that of God in another person mm-hmm. and calling that calling to that rather than t- saying as coming as the expert and saying I'm here to proclaim to you a truth you couldn't know otherwise mm-hmm. um, it certainly has impacted our forms of worship I mean Carol mentioned children can preach well mm-hmm. and and everyone can preach I mean we we create a system usually I mean a, a worship experience where if prompted by the in, inward light any person can stand and and offer a message. And I'll say personally, one of the reasons that I became a Quaker, I, I visited in a, a church in Oregon um, looking for a, a new spiritual home. And on the second Sunday I was there, this little girl about 12 years old got up and gave the most amazing sermon in out of the silence. And I thought, I want to be a part of a church where stuff like this happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was, that was incredibly powerful to me. Mm-hmm. And so um, 
again, it, it has a way of impacting the forms. Mm -hmm. And certainly it relates to, as Carol said, our social justice. You know, how on earth could you do violence to another person mm -hmm. um, who has the, the, the light of God in them? Yeah, right. I mean, it's the basis of the peace testimony as well, because everyone yeah. has the light of, of Christ, the light of God. And it's why Quakers had much better relations with the Native Americans than most other church groups, because yeah. when they would sign treaties, for they would keep the treaties because they believed that the indigenous people also had the light within them and that they could learn something from them as well. So they had very different relationships with the Native Americans. And it's why they were the first uh, denomination to rid their members of slaves and stop slave trading because they saw the light in um, you know, the slaves in black people as well as white people. They saw them as yeah. just as human as everyone. So I think it's, it has had a huge impact on the way that they see all other people um, as we're all equal. We all have that light. Yeah. It's a, it's a powerful biblical image uh, in the prophets that the, 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 the hope for humanity's reunion is that they all come to the light, uh, that the, peop the, the children of Israel are called the light and the people right. will be drawn to your light. Mm -hmm. um, that it's, and it's not just like moths coming to a flame, like, oh, there's a light, let's go to it. It sounds like it's more like we have some light, others have some light, let's all bring things into a greater Light. Yeah. realm of light mm -hmm. um, yeah. the quakers actually call themselves the children of light they didn't call themselves quakers that was actually a derogatory term right right given them but they they call themselves the children of light yeah that's oh, pretty cool i hadn't heard that before because mm -hmm. i actually I, I, went oh go ahead no that's okay i was just thinking i was just i, I was preaching in jamaica this sunday via oh. zoom and huh. and and the, the sermon title was Children of Light in the Neighborhood. Oh. And, and there's a wonderful little book called by Thomas Kelly, who is my favorite writer. Oh, yeah. Mine too. <laughs> he, has, he, has a little, he has a little chapter at the end called Children of Light. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I appreciate about Kelly, and I think this goes to the heart of, of where Quakers get off track, is, is the shadow side of our spirituality is sometimes we can just talk about this stuff and not actually live it. Right. I mean, we can mm -hmm. we can talk about the theories of, of right. the light and just as every Christian tradition can do this. And right. Kelly ends his little essay say, by saying we have this glorious we have this glorious um, experience of God. We have this amazing world changing message that is the light. And you are called to be the children of light. And though our fellowships be small, we can we can have this transformational impact in the world. But he goes, but at the end of it, he concludes by saying, but in order to give the message, you have to be the message, mm. right? In order to make the light known, you have to be a flame whipped by it. And I think that's, that's the challenge. And, and it's why the work Carol does is so important. The focus on spiritual formation, that we're actually living in the light mm -hmm. um, so that we can be that, you know, that, that, that have that drawing power that you were talking about, Craig, both individually and communally as the people of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we, it's so important in spiritual formation because of the emphasis on that you you need to have an experience of God, not just knowing about God, but actually right. experiencing God. And and Quakers were all about you know having the experience um, and living the life. So you know the, the inward the inward light is also the life. Sometimes they would just call it the life. So it's how you lived your life. You know, mm. kind of like Francis. You know, preach always and sometimes use words. So yeah. Yeah, how they lived their life was extremely important. Uh, let your yay be yay, and your no, your nay nay, mm -hmm. and um, always charge the same price for everything. And uh, you don't uh, bow to your superiors because we're all equal. So you know there were a lot of um, protests against some of the cultural aspects, particularly in England at the time. It was very hierarchical, and yeah, it's one of the reasons they'd be thrown in prison because they wouldn't like bow to their superiors off their oh. hats yeah so one of the things so very at the very beginning uh carol you mentioned that this is a at the heart of it it's a mystical tradition mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i'm you know i'm thinking about our our anabaptist uh tradition had mystical elements i mean yes. hans denk is one one of those individuals who crosses between um uh, 
Quaker history and Mennonite history. Yeah, yeah. Dank is very similar to Quakers in many right. statements. Yeah. Yet most of most most Mennonites will say, yeah, we too would. Well, it, in fact, when we became Mennonites, we were in Germantown, where we found out about Germantown Friends and Germantown mm-hmm. Mennonite, where they worked on the Underground Railroad, and it's like. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. Those two, from thinking about it, those two have different sources for their their actions. Mm. And so, I maybe it's too simplistic, but it seems like Quakers would be a mystical response to the light they are that they that they are that as as Colin was saying, be the light. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what the light does, and honoring the light in others. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a uh, in one sense, Mennonites could say, well. It's not about light. Jesus just told us to love people, to not hurt people, to um, it almost has a I don't want to say just a, a list of rules, mm-hmm. but there is this kind of uh, role where Jesus is the teacher and saying, this is how you live life. Do this. Don't do that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Those seem like two different sources. You know, they can't they definitely work together. They have worked together for centuries. Um if Jesus is the, for the Anabaptists, the teacher who says, turn the, you know, turn the other cheek uh, kind of thing. What is, what is Jesus? What's the, what, what's the, what's the model that Jesus is? Is he the, I mean, he's the light. Yes. But um, Jesus is the teacher very much. So, okay, so it's that still was, that strong yeah, teaching element. Yeah, absolutely. That was, uh, but the present teacher, not just the historic teacher. Yes. But the ah, there you, teacher. I think that's there you the go. difference. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That was George Fox's great illumination that Christ was the present teacher. Christ could speak to him directly. And I think another difference probably with the Anabaptists, particularly maybe the, as they became the Mennonite tradition, is Quakers had a little different view of scripture than uh, the Mennonites in that the spirit is kind of above scripture. Uh, the spirit inspires and the same spirit that inspired the scripture could inspire the Quaker oh, okay. in real time. So yeah. it always balanced out. They're both hell. Quakers were, were totally, you know, they saw the Bible as authoritative, but the, the spirit was also authoritative and it was the same spirit that inspired the writers of scripture. Right. So they had right. a little different um, view of the scripture and the spirit wasn't confined just to the scripture. Uh, the spirit could inspire even outside of scripture, uh, beyond scripture, I- but would be confirmed by scripture. Right. It, I think that's the larger element of it, because Anabaptists, Anabaptists would say this, you, know, re, you can't interpret the scriptures accurately without the spirit's presence in the community right. of, of disciples. But it is still so focused on scripture. It seems like there is, is an element in, in Quakerism. And I'm not sure if this falls into the liberal, progressive, mm. evangelical, whatever, you know, what divide it may fall into. But it seems like there's an element of, of, of Quaker tradition that can look at, um, almost makes you think of elements of humanism in that, you know, classical humanism, you know, like Erasmus, like mm-hmm. that painting is awesome. That dance is really cool. This is a wonderful symphony. There's something of God in that, mm-hmm. uh, that there's. Yeah, that would be typical of most Quakers, particularly the more liberal Quakers. They, they tend to be more humanist. Um, I think, and the evangelicals tend to put more emphasis on scripture, whereas some of the liberal Quakers would discard scripture. I mean, it's not important, and they don't do much Bible study. Some do, but not not nearly like the evangelicals definitely would, and they would argue about the spirit being above scripture. They would say, they would probably say that, that scripture is above the spirit, and that was a big argument in the 19th century when the Quakers divided, yeah. Right. Uh, was the important when American evangelicalism was being invented, really kind of. Yeah, and during the period. revival time, yeah, and Quakers yep. were really influenced by the revival, and and they became really more Wesleyans at that time. And most evangelical friends tend to be some of them more Wesleyan than actually Quaker. Yeah. Um, but still, there's certain things that they hold in common with Quakers. Usually, the peace testimony is one, and the way they would do the business meeting with the sense of the meeting might be another. But. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot that they hold in common, you know, the both ends of the spectrum of Quakers. So they're, they're right. quite diverse. Hmm. Certainly Colin knows a lot about that being with Friends United meeting because they're trying to hold all in, all in balance, <laughs> unlike Northwest Yearly meeting, which is, you know, thoroughly evangelical, but Friends United meeting is, is kind of like 
trying to be the middle and hold all these together. So you could talk more about that, Colin. Yeah, Colin, say something about that. Because I think the hope when Carla and I started having this conversation is there's something about the way God has created us right. that is actually this attractive force that you know God is desiring for us all to come together. But when you have a when you have a view to something like a worldwide meeting of of you know friends, you find out that it's it's harder to bring some people who share the same conditions yes, together absolutely. than <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I was really glad you started it that way because I think that's a it's an incredibly relevant conversation both in terms of humanity but also the church is what is our witness in such a divided world and. It seems like there's such emphasis in the Bible on unity mm -hmm. and that that's, that's mm -hmm. actually the way in which the world knows that we have authentic faith. But oh. it seems like we'd want to pause and go, hey, we've screwed something up here. And we need to take a hard look at, at who we are as God's people. And why are we not functioning in a way that, in which there's unity? So Friends United Meeting is this collection of about 40 yearly meetings around the world. And it crosses geography and it crosses culture and it crosses race and it crosses theology. It includes unprogrammed friends and programmed friends. It spans the spectrum from, from uh, the more fundamentalist evangelical kinds of friends to universalist, even atheist friends who are a part of this, this community. And as general secretary, I mean, one of the things that made me so passionate about it was the fact that here we have this opportunity to uh, proclaim and demonstrate the fact that, that Christ is real and alive with, within us by the fact that we're able to be drawn together and to work together. And it's not to throw those, you know, not to be unrealistic about the challenges. It's not, it's not that we um, don't pretend that there's differences. And in fact, having traveled around the world and visited you know, over the last 30 years, I've been to more than 50 yearly meetings and I've visited hundreds of congregations. And one of the one of the questions that I ask in most settings is, tell me about your fellowship. And the and and the most common when, when people are honest and talk about this, the weakness, the most common weakness, they say, is we don't know who we are or what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And there's this lack of identity. And mm -hmm. I think that that's both the challenge and the opportunity for friends to rediscover our identity. And it's not articulated simply by having a, a, a clear doctrine or creed. It's not simply, it's not made clear only by having, by getting our practice better figured out, you know, how we do stuff. And it's not only, it's not only um, made clear by being able to articulate what our social ethics are, our testimonies to the world, all of those actually have their place in the conversation. But I think that, the re that what, what ultimately will bind us together is this inward presence of God, this, this, this Christ who is alive in us, who's able to transform our lives individually and collectively as a community. But there's this, there's this need for us to go deeper into that, I think, at this point in time to find that unity. Because... We are like so many churches, we are a cluster of individuals and we're not a body. And the thing that's gonna make us a body is to have to refine re our soul, you know, which is God and, and to experience that together. And I think, I think that will be the thing that will allow us to move past some of these things that are blocks and barriers to us around theology, race, geography, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a horrible idealist when it comes to this, but I honestly think that's the only way forward. And, and, and the, yeah. thing that, the thing that made me think about this recently is I, I, was, I was preaching at a yearly meeting last, last year, and, and they, they used a Margaret Fell quote from an article that she talk, uh, wrote, or a, a letter she wrote years ago that was called, To Convinced But Not Yet Crucified Friends, which I just <laughs> love that title. I just love that title. And it's this powerful, powerful letter of her saying, basically, yeah, you all talk about it, but you've got to die to yourself. Mm -hmm. you've got to be transformed by the real power and presence of God. And mm. I just think that's, that's, that's where the answer is. That's what the early, the early Quakers preached all the time. It was that you had to die to yourself. The old man person had to die and the new person had to become alive. And that was basically, I mean, you had to be born again. They really preached that up and down. 
uh, and it's all about transformation. And yeah, they it's were not a mechanical process. It's not, not a magic. mechanical. But it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's knowing God, really. Right. And, yeah. and that just doesn't happen much anymore among Quakers. No. You don't no. see much transformation. Um, and that's, oh, it's just Quakers. Oh, good. We can't agree. Northwest yearly meeting split. I mean, one little yearly meeting, we couldn't even agree, you know, on the uh, LGBTQ issue. And so we yeah. split, even right. though we could agree on most everything else, but we couldn't agree to disagree on that one thing. And so we split. Yeah. We have another new yearly meeting. <laughs> well, and, yeah. and I think that's part of this challenge is because, you know, we're, we're not, you're not alone in that. I mean, right. when, when I started my dissertation, oh, yeah. when I started my dissertation, I was studying the 21 area conferences of the Mennonite church. By the time I finished my dissertation, I had to rewrite it about the 17 <laughs> conferences, you know, yeah. and I think even since then we've lost one uh, along the way, but, but over the same issue, in fact, Yeah. but it's, yeah. It's, you know, as we see this world going opposite ways and we want to bring it together, I mean, politics, race, all these things, it, it's hard to live it when we're finding it among our brothers and sisters. It's not yeah, happening. Yeah. I'm sorry, you're going to say something, Carla? No, oh, okay. no. I just, so we <laughs> no, share that. Burden. I feel that's like Colin. I mean, Quakers stayed together for 200 years, which is pretty remarkable from yeah. 1650 to 1850, they kind of stayed together. Now they had lots of rules <laughs> and they would just disown people if they didn't you know, live up to them. So <laughs> they got smaller, but they stayed together. Wow. Uh, but then the 19th century just split them apart in all kinds of fragments and, and we keep fragmenting. So it's, it's sad um, because that seems so unquakerly and yet wow. that's the reality. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. I. You know, I teach fifth grade also, as well as um, helping to co-pastor the congregation. And, you know, we teach about famous Americans. And so I've had students study Betsy Ross. Mm -hmm. And some of the, sometimes what is brought up is that Betsy Ross married someone that the Quaker congregation of which she attended didn't agree with that. and, And they were essentially, you know, pushed away and um it's like oh huh it's and and so i i worry a little bit about my students mm. trying as 10 and 11 year olds uh How thinking that were. through but yeah. you know they and do find that- another group called the free quakers and they actually supported the revolution <laughs> oh <laughs> so wow. yeah so there was a little split off there too <laughs> yeah we'd rather and, not talk about that, no, I know. that. <laughs> and, and i think we see the same thing you know um where you you talk about the you know the split the northwest yearly meaning and kind of the more evangelical side and, and i think we see that in within the mennonite churches just as craig I'm was sure. saying there's that that split and I, you know, I'm not sure how to bridge it except to keep praying that the light shines and that our light shines so that it becomes brighter and others see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to find that unity that transcends diversity it doesn't eradicate yes. it, but it transcends it, you know, yeah. and holds us together. So, Colin, say something. Like, okay, so find that, that transcendent element does that transcendent element also have the power the 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 wherewithal to acknowledge the differences to not pretend we're all but to actually recognize and name it and claim it and go we're not all the same we're not in agreement but there's something bigger than our disagreements even it's not like whitewashing right i hope so i mean i really hope so i mean people i'm always puzzled when people say Oh my God, there's conflict in the in this church. And I think, have you never read the Bible? <laughs> it's a story of conflict, right? Yeah. And the thing that makes us distinctively Christian is not that we don't have conflict, it's how we handle it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's our willingness to be reconciled to each other. And I don't, I'm I know, I'm sure that there are issues to die for within the spiritual life. I, I think I'm sure that's probably true. I, I don't know that there's as many as we think sometimes. Yeah. And I'm also sure that there's none to kill for. Mm. And so I, 
I just, I keep coming back to Jesus' prayer in John 17, you know, that they might be one as we are one. Right. God, and, and how quickly we, we put that aside. We, we, um, we're just, we're just so willing to say, you know, well, we can't in this case, you know, that's, mm. we, that's impossible. And yet that's Jesus' last prayer for us. Yeah. Mm. You know, and you have Paul saying, you know, make every effort to keep the unity and the bond of peace. And we go, man, this is too hard. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just think we don't take this seriously at all. And, and again, for me, it comes back to not just a matter of obedience. It comes back to the fact that at the end of the day, I know that Carla is my sister in Christ and I can't walk away from that. So one of the, one of the, one of the Quaker writers that I've appreciated is a guy named Lloyd Lee Wilson, and he has written a book on gospel order. And he talks about how the, the covenant for Quakers is not a creed. It's not anything else. It's Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that Jesus is in the five of us makes a stronger bond and a more durable reality than any differences that we have. And I I can't just turn my back on Jesus in you, Craig, very easily, right? Right. I mean, that's a that's a big deal <laughs> to, to put yeah. it lightly. And <laughs> yeah. so, and so for me, it's that how do I seek, how do I seek Christ in you? How do we seek Christ in each other? How do we mm-hmm. humble ourselves as a faith community, a local one, a worldwide one, to say we're committed to one another through through this conflict and through the next inevitable one we're going to have because it's always there's always going to be another right yeah i mean my joke recently to a group of quakers is we're going to get to the place where there's going to be carol spencer yearly meeting and colin (laughs) saxton yearly meeting (laughs) (laughs) and then what happens on that day that you're ambivalent colin you go oh on this hand you're gonna have two I'll write my, I'll disown myself. At that yeah, yeah. But yeah, and I think that is that struggle is you, you think of the logical conclusion of our individual tendencies to break off and to create our own little silos. <laughs> yeah. We sit around talking to ourselves yeah. and then having an argument with ourselves. Yeah. 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 Who was that person um, um, who founded Rhode Island? Anybody oh. remember? Is that Williams? Williams, yes. Williams. Williams. He was okay. a Baptist. I think he right. was a Baptist. But then he left the Baptist, and then he left the the branch of the Baptist, and then he left this community of Baptists. And finally, it was since he and his wife, and that is true. They were they were the church. <laughs> <laughs> so it does happen. Wow. Certainly, there were probably charge. some of those congregations, but with that kind of track record, you think maybe it was maybe it was uh, Roger Williams. Yeah. 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 It was Roger Williams. Yeah. Because oh. I actually grew up Baptist. That's what was my childhood faith oh, okay I, I learned about the baptist yeah we always yeah. would say be a baptist and split <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were always dividing up so yeah but the light also brings reconciliation i mean quakers believe that the light can bring reconciliation so right. that that is why i feel optimistic that we can rejoin and actually some yearly meetings have actually rejoined that has split yeah. earlier so that can happen oh. as well and oh. and the idea of, of the measure that you you live up to the measure within you is that God will progressively reveal more to you. So if you don't quite see it this way at one point, you might down the road. So there's this famous story, it's probably apocryphal, about William Penn, who was, um, uh, I think he he used to wear armor and a sword, right? Because he was from the upper classes. Yeah. And he had a hard time, like, wanting to take his sword off. So... um, Another Quaker said, well, wear it as long as you can, believing that at some point he wouldn't be able to wear it, but give him time and eventually he'll see that sword and peacemaking don't go together. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, that's true. You've probably heard that story too, Colin. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. actually true, but I like the story mm-hmm. anyway, and it's a good yeah. illustration. It's so. a good teaching story. I've heard that it's apocryphal and yeah. it's like, but nonetheless, it, it does carry that point. Yeah, which yeah. Is, also, it means if you don't meet if you don't meet my expectations, the problem isn't on on the person who's somehow deficient. It's on me for holding that over them. Allow mm-hmm. that light that is within them to yeah. grow as it needs to. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, and that's a beautiful thing. 
Well, I hate to be the timekeeper here, but I know that we've been talking for a while and we want to honor your time and, and listeners time. But um, I feel like Carol has left us with a, a word of hope and Colin, I kind of think you were as well. Um, so maybe I'll just ask you to kind of reiterate these two things. One, Carol, you, you mentioned that, you know, if the light is to bring re- reconciliation. So um, maybe I'll ask you to kind of re- reiterate that one more time. And Colin, you talked about, um, if I see Christ in you, I can't just turn my back on you. So, so I think there's, those are two hopeful things that um, I, don't, I don't know that I think we need, I would like to have us dwell on yeah so if you don't mind trying to sum up somehow what you were thinking in those two areas well the fact that the light can bring conviction it can convict us of our sins and our wrong ways of thinking and our biases and the way we have unconscious biases the light can reveal those to us and that's a beautiful part of it uh, and, and can bring then conviction, can bring reconciliation with those who dis- we disagree with, and we can find ways that we can agree on things and hopefully grow in that agreement. Um, and it can give us guidance and the, the power to overcome um, our diverse viewpoints, not that we have to all come to one agreement on everything, but we can agree to disagree on certain things which is the only way that we can get along really. Yeah. But I think really believing in the power of the light and that it can bring transformation and transcendence, I think makes me feel optimistic about the world and life, which if I didn't see it that way, I would be a pessimist for sure. (laughs) But it does give me, uh, it illuminates me and enlightens me and gives me hope for the future. Because Christ is in the world, reconciling the world to himself. I have to believe that. And I can see it sometimes, too. And that gives me hope. Yes. Thank you. Um, I'll end with a story and say I was part of a reconciliation team in a working with a yearly meeting in Africa where there had been a bitter division. And in fact, there had been bloodshed and, um, and violence done among the members one one man showed me the machete wounds on his back and he had a gash Mm. in his head from some of the violence that had happened there and and it was um and so there's this source source of division among friends and so i was there mostly as a as a presence and there was this wonderful woman who led this reconciliation day with members of the yearly meeting and and one of the things that she emphasized in bringing this one person back into fellowship, who many of the people were angry with and saw as the sort of scapegoat of the problem, was emphasizing the fact that he, he is your brother in Christ. That you know, the sp- spirit of God is in him. He's made confession. And it seemed really authentic. He was really humbly, sincerely sorry for some of the things that had happened, many of them which were not his fault. And it felt like in that gathering, the spirit of God was actually gathering us together. We felt knit together. Mm-hmm. And there was this oneness of mind and heart and this opening toward one another. And real reconciliation started to happen on that day and was carried forward. And since then, they've, they've had now to relearn how to be a community together. Mm. And I think that's the power of God that is available in us. I think that's part of the working of the inward light when we're all willing to come around and sit, sit around the fire and enjoy the warmth and let it, let it change and heal us. Well, that's a great story, Colin. I hadn't heard that, but that's beautiful. And that's an example of that often. Sometimes I feel well, this is all theory, you know, and I'm a theorist, but you're out there, you know, on on the field you know right there on the road and you're witnessing it so it's great to hear these stories that it can happen it's not just theory yeah yeah well we're very grateful that you have both uh 
agreed to be here today with all of your knowledge and experience. And I think we have more that holds us together with you than is not there. And so I'm just really blessed and honored to be able to call you a sister and brother in Christ. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you so much for, for joining us today. And thank you for being friends with a capital F, uh, for speaking from that tradition, being friends with the, with the lowercase F, because it's great to uh, reconnect with you, Carol. It's great to yeah. see you again, it Colin. It's great to see you after all these yeah. years. Yeah. So, thanks to both yeah. of you. Thanks yeah, for your time thank and you. thanks for your help in our project. Good to see Colin again. I haven't seen him for quite a while. I think, well, no, you did preach at Reedwood. Years ago. Yeah. You guys are just a few miles away from each other. I know. <laughs> yeah. Pandemic. That's true. There's been a pandemic. That's very COVID times. Right. Well, thank right. you so much. I'm gonna well, thanks I'm gonna for inviting us. It, it, was, it was a pleasure and honor to, to be with you. Oh, thank, right. you. thank you. Blessings. Blessings. Good night. Good night. All right. Well, hey, thank you for uh, listening to our conversation. Not holier than you. <laughs> uh, and boy, we really like that title because I think it's true. Correct. <laughs> I thought I'd have to say it so quickly. Oh, I'm sorry. I know I'm not holier than anybody else. Oh, I thought else you meant here. me. Okay. No, no, no. So I'm talking to, about myself. Uh, so we're a couple of pastors. Yep. We pastor a small congregation of Anabaptist Mennonites here in, in Idaho. Meridian, Idaho. Meridian, Idaho. Yep. And uh, we're just learning this stuff and trying to figure it out along with you. So if you if we say something that's heretical or horrible or you think we're just wrong, that's okay. We probably we might be. We're learning as we go. Well, I don't think we're heretical in oh. any way, but um... <laughs> I try a little. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, um, we are glad that you joined us, and we hope that you'll join us again. So we're hope to, we hope to come out with these about weekly, and they're roughly 35 to 40 minutes in length, hopefully not too much of your time, and hopefully some uh, seed um, for some, some fruitful conversation. And food for thought. Food for thought. Right. All right. See ya. Thank you. Bye. Bye.